Newcastle Fans TV. Good morning, afternoon, evening. Welcome back to the Green and Mourner Show, episode 100. Why are we doing this intro at 10 to 8 in the morning? Paint the picture to you all around the world, all the listeners around the world. We had agreed to interview our 100th guest, Isaac Hayden, everybody. Isaac Hayden, what a man as well. We'll have to mention about the man himself a little bit later on. But we decided to get uh, to do this interview at uh, half nine, ten o'clock, something like that. Yeah. Half nine, ten o'clock. Then Isaac forgot he had a charity golf day to attend and then messaged me at (laughs) 6am, which I I was actually up because, you know, regular listeners of this uh, pod will know I have two feral young children. So I was up and awake. Um, so uh, Mr. Greenwood wasn't, so we asked if we could do it earlier. Uh, well, he actually asked if we could do it Friday, but we can't because little Johnny JG's off to Barcelona, aren't you? So yeah. um, we compromised and, and started... Oh, are you? Yeah. Oh, got that wrong. Oh, well. Yeah. Barcelona, Madrid... <laughs> I'm in the same ballpark. Yeah, yeah. What's the difference these days? Um, but yeah, so we compromised and we actually did this interview at seven a.m. I had to ring. I had to ring you, Johnny, didn't I? Because at half past six to wake you up. <laughs> it was funny because I've, I've never been. I've never. I've never been woken up by you. I have to be honest. Um, but I was. I, well, I can. I can remember my phone ringing, and I'm, I don't like have a loud noise for ring it just goes it just buzzes and i'm thinking who's ringing me at this time like what was it? it's it's middle of june it's light anyway and i'm picking up my phone going sam what's he ringing me for and i answer for it needs it to be up in the next 15 minutes i was like what i was like isaac Hale has to do it like like before like seven o'clock because we're li- he's got to go off there i was like oh my god right okay i was like it's half six <laughs> i can remember saying that i remember going it's half six yes it <laughs> so is we're getting we're getting we're getting, we're getting ready and um yeah, I think Sam, you were worried that I wouldn't answer the phone. I was terrified, but you did, and we've done it, and it all worked out in the end. And we're going to be joined exclusively now. Come on, Charlie, come on in. I know you want to. On this one hundredth episode, we're still recording, so no swearing. <laughs> What's up? You need to do my I know. I'm going to do you, but honestly, kids are so demanding. They want feeding and everything. So, but yeah, yeah, I know. But what a hundredth guest, Isaac Hayden, one of the most important players of the past five, six years at Newcastle United. One of these guys that I never thought we'd really get. Um, One of my favourite players for the past few years. Um, Real, real shame to see him go, but he'll he'll prosper at Norwich, won't he? He really, really will prosper at Norwich. I think. I think I think he's probably too good for that level, if we're being honest with ourselves. And I think he is probably more a Premier League player. Well, he's called he's a Premier League player. I think he's a Premier League player playing in the Championship, let's be honest. But someone who defines hard work and oh, honesty. Yeah. Graft. And graft, yeah. I, I just Does the dirty work. It doesn't. Just, just speaking to him today, I just felt like he's such, a, he's such, a, he's such an intelligent person and I think he's got his head screwed on and I feel that he'll be perfect in that Norwich dressing room. I think, you know, he mentions Norwich at the beginning about a little bit of a, maybe I think some people would perceive as a yo-yo club and he wanted to try and get 
a bit more stability at that football club. I think he's the perfect person for it, perfect person. And I think Dean Smith will trust him in the midfield. But uh, but from a Newcastle point of view, Sam, some fantastic stories that he was talking on us about. Yeah, I mean, we'd, like, we we had a, a time limit with Isaac, of course we did, but it, it felt like we'd barely scratched the surface. I mean, don't get me wrong, it's a fantastic interview we've done with him. Um, but it, it, there's just, the past five, six years have been crazy at Newcastle. So to cram all that in into 40, 45 minutes or whatever, it was so difficult. So Rafa, Steve Bruce, Eddie Howe, obviously leaving the club, but moments, wins and and uh, takeovers, <laughs> Every, everything. It's been it's been crazy. But yeah, a real honest, hardworking guy, my type of player. Uh, and I, I am sad to see him go, but I, th- I think the time was right. I don't think... That, um, Eddie Howe's style of play and the way Newcastle play now suits a guy like Hayden. Um, but he will have a long career. I know he's took one step back to go into the championship, but I think it's one step back for two steps forward. I do, because I, I, I think he's a proper Premier League player and he'll have a cracking career in the game. 100%. 100%. I think, you know, we can only wish him the very best. We did mention about a certain team that he might be facing uh, down the A19, which will not spoil. We'll let you listen to that later on. But Slide Sam, tackles galore in that game. Yeah, but Sam, 100 episodes. Well done, son. Well done. I mean, if we weren't doing this remotely, I'd, I'd shake your hand, give you a pat on the back and have a breakfast Guinness. Um, but um, we are. But yeah, great achievement. And um, roll on the next 100, I say. <laughs> I always remember when we interviewed Michael Ramsey, I think that was episode eight, and I said, love to get 50 of these. Love to get 50 of these. And, you, and you, your face is like, for people that, that can't see it, there's a bit all over the place. But I know, but now all of a sudden, guys. I mean, I think there was like one week over Christmas 2020 where we didn't put one out on a Tuesday. We've put one out every Tuesday for nearly two years. That's I mean, ridiculous. I think we deserve a little bit of credit. Deserve a little bit of credit, not too much. Do you want to get our heads too big? But uh, no, I don't. Uh, I don't like human. talking ourselves up. To be honest, I prefer just to get on with it. But you know, um, there's plenty of guests still to come. We've 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 got we've still actually got some booked in. So um, the work continues, and and I mean, this is the favourite thing um, I do on the channel. I don't know about you, Johnny, but yeah, this um, it's it, it's good. It's good. I love it. Yeah, I think like I say, I, I, I think me and Sam would never have expected to get this far after no. episode one where me, where me and Sam were interviewing PVC darts player Callum Ridden. Callum's a top, top bloke, but when you look at the interview At style, that time, he hadn't even won a game on the tour. Now he's uh, a world he's championship wide. semi-finalist. Quarter-finalist. That's what I said. Exactly. And to be fair, Callum Ridds next year, if after the world championship, this is before the world championship, was provisionally ranked number 21 in the world. There you go. Absolutely incredible. But yeah. See what um, happens? I mean, take that high performance and Jake Humphrey. <laughs> um, find me some favourite moments. No, 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 not doing it. Not doing it because I dare say we'll need to do a montage episode in the future. So we'll save it for that. But yeah, lots. I'm privileged and honoured to speak to every single one of our guests and still keep in touch with a few of them as well. Um, which is, it's, you know, for a fat man sat in his kitchen is a dream come true. 
Well, there you go. I think we should end it there. We'll end it there because I think I don't think I could have put it better myself. But I don't think I didn't think I was ever going to say this, Sam. But this is the 100th episode of the Greenwood and Mullen Show, and it is with Newcastle United's very own Isaac Hayden. The Greenwood and Mulliner Show on Newcastle Fans TV. Hello everyone, welcome back to the Greenwood and Mulliner Show here on Newcastle Fans TV. Myself and Sam are joined by a man who has been a part of Newcastle United for the last six years. He has been a part of a promotion back to the Premier League all the way back in 2016-17. And he's been a part of some memorable Premier League moments for Newcastle United, including that fantastic night at St James's Park when Newcastle United beat Manchester City. By two goals to one, he did play a huge part. It is, of course, Newcastle United's very own Isaac Hayden. Isaac, welcome to the Green and Wilmer Show. Thank you very much. Much appreciated for having me on. Sam, yes. I, to be honest, I never ever thought we would get Isaac on. So, no. It's a well, brain, isn't it? It's amazing what a lone move to Norwich will do. But, I mean, it, it, it's, <laughs> a, it's a sad one in many ways, Isaac, because, I mean, I'm not just saying that. I've said it before on the channel. Um, I'm not just blowing smoke up your backside, but I think you're still one of the most important players at Newcastle over the past five, six years, along with the likes of, of, of Matt Ritchie. Um, was there a tinge of sadness when this loan move, which will probably be made permanent, when it all went through? Uh, yeah, I think it's, it's difficult to say, really, because I feel like uh, the last the last year of it wasn't wasn't very good for me, um, just in terms of injuries, um, not playing as much as I I would have wanted to. Um, obviously down to the injuries, but um, I think it was just it was time for a new challenge. You know, like I said, I've been there, been at Newcastle so long. Um, as I said uh, the last year is probably the worst year for me out at the club um, in terms of playing time. Um, but it was just, yeah, it was one of those things where I, I didn't want to, as much as it's great to be part of the takeover, to be part of the club, obviously trying to go forwards, um, I had to be realistic in terms of what I want for my own career rather than thinking about the, the you know, the, the club in that, that sense. Um, I'm a type of player who wants to be a squad player and wants to be... Um, sort of sitting on sitting on the bench and, and playing 10 minutes here and there. I'm somebody who likes to feel valued and and, and likes to to really be a, a dominant part of a team. Uh, and I felt like I was that for a few years at Newcastle. So I always said to myself, when the, if the time ever came where I wasn't um, able to be that figure in a team, then I would always say, listen, no problem, it's time for me to move on. And I think that that time came now, which, which I said, it was, it was good timing. And as I said, Norwich is a good club, uh, good club, good structure. Um, and one, which again, it's almost like six years or five years reverse, really. I feel like Norwich now is at the stage where Newcastle was when I joined, you know? So obviously I joined, got promoted, been the Premier League established. That's kind of what I want to do at Norwich, if I can, you know, go there, get them, get hopefully get promoted, and then try and make it more of a stable club rather than what it's been a yo-yo club. Um, so I said it's a challenge for me, um, and that's that's what I wanted really was, was a good challenge. Yeah, well, you certainly chosen a fantastic club, Norwich, of course. Like one of the definitely one of the favourites for promotion next season, and of course you've got experience of promotion obviously with Newcastle and the whole city as well. We're back in 2016, but when you first arrived at Newcastle. 
it must be it must be so so different mate to see like two minutes ago but what was the biggest thing that impressed you most about Newcastle at the time I think the obviously when Rafa was there Rafa was a big big pull um just in himself but I think the, the club as a whole as I said I've said before you know when I when I was younger I used to watch the film Goal um it, you, i know it sounds silly but it, it was it was an it is an iconic film for me growing up um and it was always and i, I remember just little things like the, the first ever game because i think sky sports was um just coming on the tvs at home when i was younger and, and I, I said my family we couldn't afford to get sky or anything so um i used to watch it you know around a friend's house sometimes and i remember the first ever game i watched on Sky Sports at a house was um, Newcastle versus Man United. The six, was it six two? Or I can't oh, remember yeah. when, um, when oh, Gina yeah. scored that goal. Yeah. The, the, the shot from outside the vault, the sort of half volley or volley. And I just remember looking at that and thinking, wow, like that is some stadium, that is some atmosphere, like what a place to play football. And ever since then, it kind of stuck in my mind about, about the club. Um, but I never in a million years thought when I, I can't remember how old I was, must have been about 10 or something, um, thought that I would be playing there one day. But it always struck me as a club that just had raw passion, um, you know, fight, desire from the fans. Um, and it just looked like a, you know, like a great place to play football. And, um, you know, you can always get told about things before you join somewhere. You always say, oh, you know, Newcastle's passionate and it's this, but until you actually live it and actually experience it, it's quite, it's, it's completely different. You know, you can't ever prepare for that, that feeling of, of playing at St. James's Park in a, in a full crowd. Um, and I said before, obviously it was a bit different because the atmosphere probably wasn't as good. I mean, the first season was, was great with, with Rafa promotion, obviously then the seasons after, but then there's a couple of seasons, obviously one COVID where there's no fans and obviously, um, difficulties uh, presented itself um, with obviously the ownership and the manager but I said to experience I mean the last game what was it the Arsenal game at home was like probably the best like I said best experience I've seen um, at the stadium since I joined and if that's anything like what's going to be next year then then the club's definitely going to be uh, going in the right direction. You mentioned that Jermaine Genus like half folly. I can't watch that anymore without thinking. Well, like he's presenting the Queen's Platinum Jubilee in the One Show now. It's just, <laughs> yeah. it's, it's just, it's just it's weird. Yeah. <laughs> but um, yeah. it was it was a it was a bit of a transformative summer when you arrived. A lot of players leaving, a lot of players coming in. Um, how did the dressing room kind of settle? So, like the likes of of you, Matt Ritchie, who who seems a bit of a character at the best of times to, to be around how did you kind of settle into the area and, and how did you sort of impose yourself on the lads that were already there uh, I think it was it was quite a difficult one because there was a lot of turnover like you said it was a bit of a um, tricky time for the club at the time because um, it was one of those where the club needed to make changes um, it needed to to almost Re, restart and refresh obviously before I signed I heard all the things about you know what had gone on the season before some of the performances um, you know what the fans were saying um, obviously what happened at, I think it was Southampton and Everton I think it was where there was certain things that had gone on I can't remember exactly what they were so I, I knew that there was probably um, 
you know, underlying issues there um, with with certain players in the group. Um, but kind of when I when I joined and I sat down with Lee and um, and Rafa before I signed, they kind of just said that it's you know it's Rafa's team. Um, it's what he wants to do, and we're trusting him to obviously get the club back to Premier League and build. And it's kind of what he wants to do. So when they said that, and you know, I, I kind of had full trust in what he wants to do, and he obviously wanted to bring me into the club for a reason. So when that happens, and you sat there, and, and he's saying that to you, you always have to listen, you know. Um, and there was a big turnover, as I said. The, but the thing is, is it's a strange one because the players were really, really good. I mean, when I first joined, I mean, there was. Genie was still there, Musa was still there, and they're, they're great lads. Like honestly, they were. I'm telling you, they were such good lads, especially V that just joined. And I'm sitting there thinking, oh wow, like you know, when Alder was in the papers going for 25 million, obviously Sissoko's being touted, you know, France international, and they were so good. You know, I was only 21, and they were like, you know, they were so such good lads with me um, when I first joined, helped me settle in really well. And then obviously they left, and then. Um, the club has said we started again, if you want to call it that. And he's, he's like you said, me, uh, Matty, Dwight, uh, Clarkey, um, obviously Grant Hanley as well signed. Um, so they made a lot of signings. And I think the difference is, is that when you sign a lot of English lads or British lads, I think it makes a difference because, you know, you understand the league, you understand the English game. There's no, you know, real differences in language barrier or understanding of what's needed. Uh, so I think that helped us all settle in um, a lot quicker. Um, and I said, is that they're just all really, really good lads. Um, you know, not even obviously they, they're all good players, but I mean, just as people, um, all really, really good people. Um, and first and foremost, that was a massive thing I think for me, especially because I was younger. You know, I was a lot younger than them. And um, for me, coming 300 miles away from home, um, they all were, yeah. Yeah, really, really top top set of lads. So um, yeah, I, I couldn't really complain with it. No, definitely not. It seemed like a real honest group of people, which is what you I think is what you need in a football team as well. But talking about Rafa, I'm, I'm assuming I've seen you in, in different interviews, Isaac, talking about how unbelievable he was on the training ground. How did he improve you positionally? And did he get, did he have like a two hour conversation before you signed for Newcastle, just talking all things like yeah. yourself, yourself yeah. and your position, basically? Yeah, it was quite funny actually. That that was so basically, me and well, my agent called me and he said, "Oh, you know, Newcastle are interested. Like, do you want to go and meet Rafa um, and um, the the managing director?" I was like, "Well, of course." I was like, "Yeah, let's go and see what he's got to say," um, and. I remember I, I booked a train. I can't remember where it was. I think I was staying at my parents' house at the time. And I said to my parents, um, yeah, I'm going to go meet Rafa. They were like, yeah, 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 okay, fine. And I was like, I'll probably be an hour or so. So I'll book the train back to, you know, back home for this time. I go there, literally three hours later, my dad's texting. He's like, how did it go? I was like, I'm still here. <laughs> and he's like, what's he doing with you? I'm like, I'm like I'll talk to you later. But, um, but yeah, it was literally crazy. So there's me sitting there thinking, oh, I'm going to be there an hour, you know, quick chat. He was talking to me about everything, like so open, so honest, like you could ask him questions, he'd answer them. Um, yeah, he got, so we we're in the Rosewood Hotel in London and he got these, um, basically on the table or the, or the boardroom that we were in, had like a, a little bowl full of, um, oh, what they, I can't what they're called. You know, the mini suites of like Galaxy, 
Maltese. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, those little, so they were like little party sweets or whatever you want to call them. And, um, and then he literally, we're talking about the structure, what he wanted, what he saw, what he thought my good parts of my game were, what he thought the bad parts were, how he saw me fitting in, etc. And then he just went, right, he goes, okay, he goes, now it's test time. So he got these sweets out and started putting them in a formation. And he was like, right, if I go there, what do you do? And I'm like, you know, when you're panicking, I'm thinking 21. And I'm like, oh, do I get it wrong? <laughs> so I was like, well, if you went there, I'd kind of have to go here. And then you'd be like, okay, all right. Then he'd be the next question. Then he'd be like, I think he did five questions. And he went, well, you got four out of five. So that's very good. But it's like this one, you didn't do, you need to do this, this. So you're talking me through everything. This is before I even touched pen to paper. Like I didn't sign nothing. He just was talking to me, you know, as a young player. Um, and then literally, I remember from that moment, I was thinking, like, this is just mental, you know, because growing up, I'm sitting there looking at him on the TV, um, you know, winning Champions Leagues. And then he's there wanting to speak to me and obviously talking through things with me to improve my game. So I said to my agent, I said, I don't care about any other club because I was actually further down the line with a couple of clubs that were that were interested at the time. I said, don't care about anything else. I have to sign here simple i said, don't care about the money i don't care about whatever the deal is i said i just need to need to go there because i said 100 i'll be a better player playing under under him and luckily it was done within like yeah two three days and then i was like right i'm going there so um but i said we still speak now i mean he's i said it's been what a few years now since he's left and um yeah he's he's a he's a really top manager top 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 man top manager and uh said uh, hopefully he gets back into football um, football soon because he's literally a football mad person yeah absolute genius um yeah. i suppose did did the frustrations rafa felt obviously later on in, in his time at newcastle towards the end did did that ever transcend into the dressing room did you ever kind of look around and think what what are they doing not just giving him what rafa what giving him what rafa wants and trying to keep him yeah, it's, it's a difficult one because I think the lads obviously saw that saw certain things that went on, but as players, you can never let that affect you because at the end of the day, you're out there representing representing the fans, you're representing your, your, your families and yourselves, um, and you can't let that affect your performances or let, let that affect how you are as an individual um, because, don't get me wrong, there are frustrations. You get so frustrated with certain things that you see. But when it comes to getting over the white line and performing, you, you can't afford to let people down because there's so many people that obviously depend on the result, not just the the fans, but the staff. You know, I said everyone knows in relegations or, or, or things that, that you don't get good results, people lose their jobs, you know, whether it's managers, staff, um, you know, they have to cut staff and get relegation. So there's a lot of people that ride on the results. So just because of certain political issues between a, a manager and an owner you can't let that affect your performances and uh, and to be to be fair i don't think rafa let that affect his performances either because he was exactly the same with the lads even if it was a problem or he was frustrated he never really let on to the lads that he was that frustrated um so it was always quite easy to stay calm and and, and focus on on what was important in terms of results um but yeah there was times when you sat there and you thought like it's easier to do what he's trying to do you know it's harder to, to do what what's not but um as players you, you you can't affect it you just have to kind of sit there and, and and just make sure that you do your job because i feel like 
if you get distracted, I think you've seen it in the past with teams, you know, if you if players start getting involved with um, decisions that go on in board level and, you know, making protests or, 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 or being difficult, it's only going to affect one thing and that's your performance. Um, at the end of the day, it, we kept the club in the Premier League. The Premier League's where the money's at and it's where the, the clubs should be. So uh, that's why every club wants to be at the end of the day. Um, so... I think, as I said, we had to focus on, on our own performances rather than get involved with anything that was um, sort of outside the pitch. Talking about your own performances, uh, Isaac, in, in the Premier League, obviously, it's a level higher. It's, 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 I can imagine, being very, very difficult. Um, what did you think it was your best performance in the Premier League for Newcastle? And how difficult is that transformation from being you know, a very, very good championship team, championship player, and then going with the big boys? Yeah, I think I think the main difference between the chat well when I first moved from the championship to Premier League was just the um was the speed. Um and you see that in a lot of the data metrics as well. Uh so you know in terms of running stats, um, you know, a lot of teams from all the way up the football league can do distance covered and can do, you know, can 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 cover the ground. But the main difference between the Premier League and the and the lower divisions is the speed. So the speed of the players, the speed of the ball, um, the speed of transitions is a massive one. So, you know, for example, you, it doesn't break down a lot. So if you lose the ball, I think there's a couple of, I think a few years ago, we lost, I think it was Man United at home. You lose the ball on the edge of the box, four passes, it's in the back of the net. That doesn't happen that often in the as the lower you go down because the the transitions aren't as good um but also it's just the physical capabilities of the players i mean you give salah or mane space to run in behind they're going to beat you because they're just faster than you it's just it's just it's the simple simple phys physiology it's, it's easy and same with sterling same one you know son you can name all these players that are you know that are, that have got a different gear in terms of physicality um that you give them time and space, they will hurt you. And it's the chances as well, the chances taken. You give these players one chance, it's in the back of the net. Whereas maybe if you play other teams, lesser teams, it takes them two or three chances to score. And if you're a good team in that division, you don't give the teams chances, you know. Um, but it's the main difference is the speed. Um, and best performance, I quarters. Oh, it's a tough one. Um, I think I think you, as a as a squad performance, not just me. I think the Man City, like we said at the, like said at the start, the Man City at home game. I don't think we could have put a performance to what the manager wanted at the time any better. I think it was literally the perfect performance. Um, it was a strange one because we conceded. I think <laughs> after a minute, wasn't it? I, I said yeah. nothing. It's going to be a long evening now. He's going to concede after one minute, but um, after that. And we settled into the game. I think it almost helped us to concede so early because I think City in their heads thought, oh, we won it up. We don't have to almost push and push and push. Uh, so the longer the game went on and you're still in the game at 1-0, um, you get, a, you know, we nicked the, the, the I think it was, the, it was the Rondon, wasn't it? Rondon scored. Um, and then once it goes to 1-1 with 15, 20 minutes to go, you, you know, they're scrambling. They have to push men forward. And then you nick a penalty and it's 2-1. And then they said, it's, it's, 
complete um, bedlam. But I'd say as a performance overall, that was probably the best performance for me um, that I played in. I mean, if you ask me, I think the performance against Arsenal at the last game of the season was one of the best I've seen um, since I joined. Obviously, I didn't play in that, but as a like watching as a performance, um, I feel that was probably one of the best ones I've seen as well in terms of intensity, what the game plan was, how we dominated Arsenal. Um, that was impressive. Um, mm -hmm. So, yeah, I'd say those two probably. Yeah, battered him. It was unbelievable. But yeah, um, that 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 Man City game, you were obviously alongside Sean Longstaff that night. He was a rookie at the time. He'd been drafted in because yeah. we had an injury crisis. Um, after the game, Pep Guardiola said Man City couldn't cope with you and Sean. I mean, that's got to feel pretty good when you you're strutting into training the next uh, the next day or whatever. <laughs> yeah, it's quite it's quite funny. Um, yeah, when he said that, we got a lot of um, comments and messages. But it's a, what is a strange one because, do you know what the thing is? Is it was quite funny because, obviously, jo, uh, John Joe and, and Mo had been doing really, really well um, the, the season before, uh, and obviously the start of the season they were doing excellent as a pairing. They were they were perfect um, together, and um, you know, me and Sean had to well, especially me because Sean was obviously a bit younger, but I had to wait my turn quite a lot and bide my time um, in terms of not only learning from them because they were they were both playing really well and watching them play and, and position wise but um, me and Sean used to play and train every, every day because obviously a lot of the times it used to be you know if we were doing tactics it used to be Mo and John Joe working together and then it used to be me and Sean working together so it was almost a case of when we got to play it, there was no misunderstanding issues because we played it with each other every day in training so it was like we knew each other's game inside out we knew where we would be positionally wise and, and sean's a very very intelligent lad as well in terms of football understanding he gets the game um covers the ground really well physically very good um so when we played together it was quite easy you know obviously everyone's like oh you know he hasn't played for a while isaac and then obviously sean's it's his debut but it was almost like, you know, everything was the same, you know, it was no difference just that we're playing at Stamford Bridge instead of playing at um, Benton training ground, you know what I mean? But it was just kind of, we took our games from training and put them into a game. And as I said, he was, he was fantastic. And then it was unfortunate he got the injuries or the, or the injury to his knee. But um, I'm just glad to see him back to the, you know, back to the levels that, that he was, what was then, because um, it's difficult when you have an injury, especially the injury that he had it was you know not not an easy one to come back from um but as a as a lad um and as a as a player in the dressing room to be part of your team part of your squad um you know he's a, he's a fantastic lad and, and he's a good player as well he's a very very good player and it's just good to see especially at the end of end of last season him come back into the team and perform like he did because we all know his capabilities and um i said i just i said to him before i left said i hope that you know, next season he pushes on and gets to a next level because I do feel that he's got a, a big part to play uh, in Newcastle's uh, future. Yeah, of course. I think me and Sam can only echo what you just said there, but we want to see everybody do well in a black and white shirt, of course. I have to ask about John Joe Sheldon because for the vast majority of the time that you're at Newcastle, Isaac, he was your partner in crime in the centre of the yeah. field. Yeah, I think that the biggest thing that Newcastle fans see them is that he can change the game 
if he, like I say, he's, he, I think a lot of people describe him as the quarterback with that yeah. sort of uh, long ball that you can spray it from one end to the other quite quickly. And you can, you can, you can change that, the game very, very quickly. Um, what is John Joe like? Because we've spoken to a couple of players and he, yes. he seems to be a bit of a character. He seems to be uh, <laughs> one of the most popular lads in the training, uh, in, the, in the dressing room as well. Yeah. But as a player, he, he, he does seem a, a, a very, very underrated Premier League footballer at times. Yeah, he's John Joe is. I don't want to say I don't want to go over, overboard with it because I, I've known well I've known of John Joe for a long time. I mean, we he went to um, one of the rival schools to mine um, back in Essex, and when I was a kid, obviously John Joe was obviously a bit older than me, but he was always somebody that I looked up to as a player because uh, you know he's playing playing for Charlton at such a young age, which wasn't you know too far away from me and I had a few of my friends play for Charlton at the time and then he obviously got the move to Liverpool was playing for Liverpool and you know as his, as his career he's had a fantastic career as a, as a as a Premier League player he's played a lot of Premier League games uh, obviously played for England and to play with him at Newcastle for so long was was a privilege for me um, because as I said I, I grew up looking up to him and then obviously to play with him was was fantastic but like you said he's got the ability to to win games by himself obviously the championship was was a fantastic season from him um put a lot of consistent performances together but not just the championship in the premier league there's been spells in the premier league where he's he's almost been unplayable at times um i mean the first season we got promoted back that that second half of the season you know really should have been in the england squad if we're being if we're, if we're being honest here um there wasn't really a reason to leave him out at that time. He, he was one of the best centre midfielders of English players at the time. Um, and then again, you know, last season before he got injured at the end of the season was was pivotal. And, and the stats don't lie with John Joe. Um, you know, people will when he doesn't play, um, people will go, "Well, you know, why is John Joe not playing?" Or because John Joe's not playing. And it's the truth because in the, the day, the team is a better team with John Joe in the team wins more games uh and when he doesn't play we lose more games it's such a simple equation so it kind of tells you that you know john joe shelby is a, is a massive part of the club and a, and a very important player for the team and um like you said there's not really anybody for me in the team that can offer what he offers uh, it's very very unique and i think especially over the last year or two i think defensively he's 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 definitely improved as well um because I said, especially with playing with Eddie, when you play the deeper one, I think you have to be a bit more defensively sound if you play in a 4-3-3, whereas usually before he's played in a pivot. So when it's been two of you, it's a bit, you know, like if me and John Joe played together, it would be, um, you know, a bit more shared. Whereas when you're playing like that, um, there's a little more responsibility on the deeper one to be defensively um, good, which he's um, definitely shown, especially last season. And, as I said, everyone knows about his capabilities going forward with the ball, passing range, etc. Uh, but I think defensively last year he was was top top draw as well. Um, which as I said, overall, you, you can't deny. Like I said, you can't deny his importance to the side, uh, especially last season and, and the seasons before. And it'll be interesting, as I said, next season to to see how how the team does. But he's definitely an important important part of the of the club still, and and will be going forwards. I mean, yeah, he, he should have been. Like, like first season back in the Premier League, towards the back end of that season, he was 
at the real top of his game. But you had another kind of transitional time at, at Newcastle uh, a couple of years ago, obviously when Rafa left, which was a crushing blow for 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 us fans. And then Steve Bruce comes in, um, who you'd obviously worked with before. But you'd also had players like Joe Linton and Alan St. Maximum walk through the door, which um, would be interesting, particularly with Maxi. How how was that summer? Because the the preseason tour to China, I think it was. Things looked a bit of a mess from the outside it was a looking bit of a disaster, in. Disaster, yeah. That, that China was a bit of a disaster because I think when you go on a preseason tour and you haven't got a manager, um, as well as Ben and and, and Neil at the time did, um, I think it's always always very very tricky um, because to to manage a group of players in pre-season without a manager at Premier League level is kind of unheard of, really. Um, especially, like, to start pre-season because you've got players... You, that nobody knows what what's going to happen. It's just a complete free-for-all uh, because usually pre-season is where managers assess players. You know, they go, oh, is he going to be part of the squad for next season? Does he want A, B, C player? Um, and, you know... When that doesn't happen, you go into into training and there's no manager. And the, obviously Ben and Neil are in charge are great coaches, but they don't have any final to say on anything. So it's like, you know, a player might be thinking, well, if the manager comes in, I've done whole of pre-season here. And then a week the manager comes in, right, I don't want you. Then it's killed. You know, he doesn't know what is what, what the next season holds. So I thought that was a bit bit difficult, that, that pre-season, and probably set us back a little bit. Um, in terms of the start of the season, because uh, didn't really give Steve much time to, to do anything that he wanted to do, or even, as I said, a lot of the signings were already made kind of before he, he joined. Um, but yeah, like you said, Joe, obviously Joey came in, Maxi came in, and as I said, two, two, I think Crafty came in as well um, that summer. And I think that those three players, especially over the last season, last 18 months, have, have been been fantastic signings for the club. Um, I mean, Emil last year um, had difficult spells under under Steve, but everyone kind of knew that the, the capabilities and ability that he had. I mean, you don't play as many games for Sweden as he has and play and be picked for every squad if you're not a good player, you know. Um, and I think that it was just good for the lads to see, obviously, the way that he performed at the end of last season, obviously, when Trips got injured. Um, was really really pleasing for me um, to see um, because I knew obviously how good he was and for him to go out there and perform week in week out for everyone else to see what was was brilliant. Um, Joey the same. I mean, I, I struggle to find somebody who's probably got the mental strength and the 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 stamina of motivation to carry on bigger than Joe Linton. Um, you know, when he was playing up front, it probably wasn't his best position. He was played there. He, he wasn't doing well. Obviously, he's got the price tag over him. Um, all these factors come into it. And then for him to come out of it, he, he never stopped every day. Never stopped. You know, he might, it might be a bad day, might be a good day. But to his credit, he never once gave in. You know, he, he was always trying and training, always trying different things, desperately trying to get the edge do extra work outside training, he'd do extra work in the gym, physicality changed. And you can see the change from when he first signed to obviously now, he's you know, a completely transformed player. But that's not by luck. That's all by his hard work and his dedication to be better. Um, 
and obviously a change of position has helped um you can see the ability that he's got in that number eight position it's um last year was a revelation and, and deserved his um player of the season award because he was was fantastic um but i think even if he didn't have that change of position you could see almost towards the end of when steve was manager and he was playing on the right i think and on the left you could see that it suited him a lot more you know he wasn't a number nine almost he was more of an, a wide forward um great ball carrier defensively very very good strong physically physically could play the game well um and everyone knew that he had capabilities all the lads knew that he was a good player because you saw it training but it's just difficult sometimes when you're in a rut and you you know, you're playing games and you're playing up front by yourself. And it was a 5-4-1 formation we played. And I'm not being funny. It's it's it's, it's very, very difficult for a, a striker to, to be functioning in a 5-4-1 um, when you just come over from a different country and you just chuck the number nine shirt and everything's kind of put onto you. It's all probably a lot to deal with. And um, I'm just glad that he's come through it and he, he stayed stayed strong. All the lads, I said, all the lads helped him a lot. Um, and he's performing how we all knew he could perform and, and he's a fantastic player and then you've got Maxi as said another another player who's a, um, who's a character um, but again a player who's unplayable on his day I mean some of the things you see him do in training you think like the, the world's your oyster almost when, when things like that come off um, but he's He's a player who's slowly producing more consistent performances. Um, as I said, I think if you ask him, he'd want his numbers to be better. Um, but I think last season, his numbers were, were, were better than the season before. So I feel like for him, he'll progress and progress and progress, um, especially under the manager that we've got now, because that's what he demands. He demands um, work ethic and, and progression and, and improvement. Uh, so I've got no doubts that, that next season Maxi will be will be will be on a, on a top top level, um, and he'll be scoring and assisting a lot more. Just finally, Isaac, um, the future of Newcastle United. Obviously, the the new owners came in in the October. Eddie Howe's obviously coming for Steve Bruce. Yeah. Just two very quick questions in regards to that. How impressed have you been with the new owners, in particular Amanda and Mia Darden? What they told you about what they want to do with the football club in the next couple of years and with eddie howe what has he done to transform this newcastle side because without being disrespectful to the previous manager it it, 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 looked, it looked very very negative the whole the whole yeah. the whole place seemed very negative it just come in seems to be like a, a breath of fresh air if you like yeah. i think that yeah first and foremost the new owners have been have been fantastic um manda mirda jamie um they've all been top draw um i think it's just i think the transparency that they have with the players is is has been has been good because the communication lines were there um from the word go um anything that needed you know to be sort spoken about you could always speak about it um and i feel like that was really really nice you know it's personable you know it was like they they were you know you could have conversations with them easily it wasn't like a, a barrier between owner and, and players or staff it was very much open and honest um which i think everyone appreciated and they said that I think the fans appreciate the communication was far far better um so as i said that's a that was a key a key thing 
um, because I said for me communication is is key. Um, even if it's not what the fans want to hear sometimes, but at least you know. I feel like that's yeah. better. I feel like even if it's something that you don't particularly like or agree with, at least you've been told and there's no grey area. So I feel like when you run a, with a football club, I feel like if there's grey areas, you're in trouble because everyone's... It just makes everything more... You know, anxiety becomes more, doesn't it? I, I feel like it's heightened. Um, so, you know, they've done that straight away. And they said they're just... They're, they, they're very good people. You know, that's first and foremost. They... They want to do things right. They obviously they want to make the area not just the football club, but they want to obviously invest in the area. Um, and as said as I thought that they'll be fantastic for the football club and then the manager. Um, you know, people might look at it and go, "Well, didn't exactly play much, um, and he left you out of a twenty-five man squad." But um, as a manager, as a person, um, top top draw. Um, I, from the moment he came in, I, I, I think I said this before, I, I knew within a week of analysing and seeing what we were doing and how he was going to go about things that we would be perfectly fine because he's got the, he's got an aura about him. It's, he's got a, you know, a, a strong aura. He's very calm. He, he knows exactly what he wants and how he wants to do things. Um, and he relays that to the players in a very, um, easy way to understand uh he's don't get me wrong he's very demanding um in training in games he wants to see improvement he wants to see things done the right way um but he's first and foremost as a man as, as a guy I, I said can't fault him he's very very helpful for me especially in times of difficulty with with injuries i think he understood that because i think he had a lot of injuries in his career as well um, but as a coach, was there every day, right? You know, was coaching every day, and that's that's a big thing for me. Uh, and I think for all the players is when a manager comes in and he's coaching. He's not, you know, obviously he's got his staff, he's got his coaching staff, but he's the one driving it. He's the one there. You know, he would be there at six, seven o'clock in the morning, and he wouldn't leave until you know, six, seven o'clock at night. Like, you know, when he first joined, he wasn't even seeing Newcastle. It was dark when he got there and it's dark when he left. But that's, that, but when you see that as a manager, as a player, you just think, wow, like he's given, he's, he's put his whole life into this situation. You have to, we have to follow. And I feel like that structure and that desire from him, I think filtered through the whole training ground and the whole staff playing staff, not playing staff. I think it just upped the levels of commitment and up the levels of hard work. Um, and then as said, you see the results. It didn't happen straight away, but you, you it, it was no coincidence that eventually it did turn. And that's purely because of, as I said, the management, the the structure of the sessions, the, the, the hard work in the sessions. Um, and it, it changed it all. But as I said, I can't really... Um, commend the manager not just the manager but his staff as well you know JT Tinners Perchy all of them that and Bonner obviously from from previous all of them made a massive massive impact um, on the lads and on the staff um, and as said it's credit to them because um, it was no mean feat to come from where we came from as a club um, to where we finished was was quite remarkable and I must admit I was quite surprised that he didn't get um, manager of the season but as mm. I said 
hopefully next year um, it'll be a good one for the club. And as I said, it's a fresh fresh start for everybody, a fresh clean slate. Everyone's on zero points and we'll see uh, we'll see where the club finishes. Yeah, it's going to be an interesting uh, season next season. Just a tiny quick one for me, guys, because I know you've got to shoot. Um, I just want to know what sort of the the players' WhatsApp group was was like during takeover night when you're seeing the scenes outside St James's Park with hashtag cans everywhere going into that Spurs game because that that the day of the Spurs game I don't know if you, the players would have known at the time but three hours before the kickoff. It was like a carnival outside St. James's Park. That day will stay with me yeah. forever. It was the best 3-2 defeat I've ever seen. Yeah, I mean, it was... Well, we knew when the takeover happens, obviously everyone was talking about it and that it was finally going to happen because obviously years before, we'd had about four or five takeover. We're going to get taken over and it's like, no, we're not. Then it's going to get taken Oh, no, it's not. So we kind of were like hesitant a little bit uh, especially the lads that have been there a long time, are thinking, oh, is it going to happen? Is it not? And obviously, when it got formally announced and everything, it was just everyone was just happy because at the end of the day, we play for the club, we play for the fans. Um, we obviously knew the fans are going to be happy with the situation. And, and I feel like, like I said before, I can speak for myself. If you can contribute to a football club in a positive way, and leave, and if you leave, you've left it in a better position than when you first came. Then that's obviously what you want as a player, you know. You want to be able to come in there and contribute to a football club in a positive way and not in a negative way. Obviously, everyone is different, but for me, I sat and thought, well, you know, I've, I've done my best. It, we've we've started in a negative light, getting relegated, and then we've obviously finished, you know, finished it in a in a good way. Um, and it was only going to improve every player by getting new owners in, getting more money, getting more infrastructure. It was only going to make you better. So everyone was excited about it. Um, and I said the Tottenham game was, yeah, incredible atmosphere when when they got announced and you know the the whole atmosphere was crazy. And obviously, Will scored early, and it was like it's just going crazy. Um, and then again, yeah, we were in a leading position again, and then we we we, we lost the game. But um, yeah, as I said, I think everyone kind of knew from that moment that you know it was going to be progression. Even though we lost the game, it was an entertaining game. Um, and everyone knew from that moment that it was, you know, moving forward rather than negativity um, and, uh, you know, always hoping. And I think that, that was the biggest thing is that it gave hope to the football club. You could see that in the fans' reaction. It gave everybody a lift. It gave the players a lift, the staff a lift. So, yeah, um, yeah, it was, it, was, it was a good day. Isaac, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on the Green and the Moon on the show. On behalf of all Newcastle fans, we'd just like to thank you so much for all your contributions over the last six years. I think a lot of Newcastle fans will appreciate what you've given the team. Yeah, just for uh, the slide tackles. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and we're honestly wishing all, all, wish no, all the I very best of luck at Norwich. But uh, if, you can get, if you can get six points against that team down the road as well, that would be, uh, mm. be uh, oh, appreciated yeah, as well. You're looking forward to that? That's, that's, that's not forgotten. Yeah, not forgotten on me. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. Mm. So, Sam, where can everyone listen to this podcast? Links are in the description. A new episode released every Tuesday. We've now done 100 episodes, so please leave us a five-star review. Thank you very much. Fantastic. From myself, Jonathan Greenwood, Sam Mulder and Newcastle United, Isaac Hayton. We'll see you all very soon. Newcastle Fans TV.